This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Welcome, Talk Catholic, the website.com, your host, Tim Kilcoyne. No agendas here, just the straight and narrow, through Mary to Jesus, the Catholic faith proclaimed and preserved. Hope to see you here every week. TalkCatholic.com with Tim Kilcoyne, and we are looking at the priest as a marked man in the book review, You Shall Stand Firm, by Father William Casey of the Fathers of Mercy. And we'll get back to this book review in just a few minutes as I continue on with a little mini-series and an analysis of the Synod on Synodality. We really need to zone in under the microscope what's going on with this Synod and who's orchestrating the whole thing. Who are the architects? And in a nutshell, what we've been talking about kind of boils down to one simple thing. What happens to any organization when the leader checks out, when there is no teacher? I'm reminded of a a Boston College graduate class uh, that I was involved with. And all of a sudden, about halfway through, uh, the professor said, Tim, I I have to run. Why don't you take over? (laughs) I think I told this once before. Not that we were on the same page about virtually anything. But see, that didn't matter to him because he didn't believe in the truth. He just believed in group dialogue towards consensus. That's it. That's the new way of getting to the truth. Or rather, making people feel better, no feathers ruffled. Well, unfortunately, it has much to do with wisdom imparted and who has it and who doesn't. Or, you know, and it's always in varying degrees. You just hope that the professor has more of it than his students. That's why we have professors and we have students. And you wonder why we have to give a definition of what marriage is? When you lose the teacher, I think, uh, ask any uh, football coach what happens to the team when there's a coach missing. Or, as we know with the Patriots, <laughs> I don't want to go there, but you know, if, if, if the coaches are not absolutely equipped and experienced with the role that they're playing, that can have a pretty devastating effect on the win-loss column. That lack of guidance has a pretty darn devastating impact on the game plan. Which way to go? The battle. Is there a battle plan? And of course, we don't want to think in the church that we have to think that way, that we got to have a battle plan against you know who? The devil. That's right. The general. The general of this world, as our Lord called him, the prince of this world. So you just can't, and I obviously I shared that story in the sixth grade about the desks being turned into uh, box formations, little rectangular groups of six with the students looking at each other. That was absolutely the end of all learning for that year. This was the new way to go, and all we did is laugh at each other for pretty much every class from that point on. So uh, that's chaos, anarchy. I am the way, the truth, and the life, our Lord said about himself. And therefore, those who know Jesus better by way of sacrifice, reparation, atonement, prayer, devotionals, frequency of confession, frequency of Holy Communion, understanding of the scriptures and official church teaching. Yes, this does bring you into greater intimacy with our Lord than someone who is not really engaged, and therefore his wisdom. They might go through some of those rituals from time to time, but not on a regular habitual basis. And habit of virtue is what it's all about, and it takes practice. As Aristotle said, you know, if you want to be virtuous, practice virtue. 
and especially the virtue that you're lacking in, right? So this is really what is at stake in the Synod, because the undergirding approach that they are using here is casting truth just simply right out the window and subverting who we would ordinarily look to, and we still do, those of us that are going to remain faithful no matter what, to the rock of magisterial truth. We have to listen to the teachers of the church, exactly who are they, and who is in continuity with the deposit of faith 2,023 years and unchanging. So there has to be this continuity for it to be authentic. And if there's no continuity and they're trying to do a radical break, then we got a hijacking going on. In any event, I want to pick up on an article written, someone I consider to be just spot on, always accurate, and ever charitable in his language, Father Gerald Murray, known very much to the listening audience, I'm sure, on EWTN's World Over. And he had some most poignant, piercing remarks in an article on the thing.com relative to Cardinal Pell. The sudden death of Australian Cardinal George Pell at age 81 is a tremendous loss for faithful Catholics and for all others who learned valuable lessons from his personal courage and Christian devotion. Pell was a true servant of God, laboring with admirable fortitude in the vineyard of the Lord. He served well the people of God and in particular the three popes who called upon him to exercise bold leadership in promoting the saving mission of the church. His final article, published just the day after his death in The Spectator, sets forth a bold indictment of the errors promoted in the official working document of the Synod on Synodality. Pell wrote, quote, The Catholic Synod of Bishops is now busy constructing what they think of as God's dream of synodality. Unfortunately, this divine dream is developed into a toxic nightmare despite the bishops' professed good intentions. He bluntly called it one of the most incoherent documents ever sent out from Rome and asked what is one to make of this potpourri, this outpouring of New Age goodwill. It is not a summary of Catholic faith or New Testament teaching. It is an incomplete, hostile, in significant ways to the apostolic tradition and nowhere acknowledges the New Testament as the Word of God, normative for all teaching on faith and morals. The Old Testament is ignored, patriarchy rejected, and the Mosaic Law, including the Ten Commandments, is not acknowledged. Just a quick pause there, ladies and gentlemen. Think about that. Patriarchy is rejected. They've got something better than the father figure as head of the household and head of the church, the symbol and acting principle of unity for faith and morals and family life provided they play their appropriate role. The patriarchs were patriarchs. God chose out Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Joshua, Moses, and on and on from the people of Israel for good reason, to pave the way for a new covenant foreshadowing a new people of God. It was through patriarchy that God came to us, that God became man. That's not misogyny. That's God's design. Then finally, he came more profoundly to us as Jesus Christ. Indeed, God made man. We're to downplay this in a Catholic document of any kind? Oh, I can just see all the feminist DREs throughout the church, who I went to school with in the 1970s, writing this document in a back room, laying the theological building blocks for women priesthood all over again. Haven't we been down this road? Which only came to a dead end with very clear, infallible words of St. John Paul II that it isn't going to happen because we have to abide by God's designs. And then, no referencing of the Ten Commandments in a document that is to represent 
the church of the future, quote unquote. Is that pretty brutal? No moral code. No, no thou shalt nots. We don't want to go there because that's part of an ancient tradition. Too much judging. This is diabolical to the maximum degree. It may well be called the theology of wokeness. Or better yet, reflections and echoes of an apostolic letter called Fratelli Tutti. Father Jerry goes on, The ex-Anglicans among us are right to identify the deepening confusion, the attack on traditional morals, and the insertion into the dialogue of neo-Marxist jargon about exclusion, alienation, identity, marginalization, the voiceless, LGBTQ. Let's pause right there, ladies and gentlemen. You know, neo-Marxist jargon alienation, exclusion, the marginal, gender identity politics. Does this not sound like a political agenda to you, as opposed to a theological treatise on what it means to be the Catholic Church? Indeed, they're writing from a political, new world order, globalist, pure secular vision without faith, because they're okay with the patriotic church of China that is illegitimate, all right? Let's know exactly what they are writing into the Constitution, their Constitution, for a new church as opposed to the church. They want to change language, do an end-around on a Friday afternoon when you're asleep or on summer vacation? We're going to expose every nook and cranny of it right here. Let us go on. Then there is the displacement of Christian notions of forgiveness, sin, sacrifice, healing, and redemption. Why the silence on the afterlife of reward or punishment? On the four last things, death and judgment, heaven and hell. Think about that one, ladies and gentlemen. No mention of sin, sacrifice, and redemption heaven, hell, and purgatory. Do we dare to ruffle the feathers of anyone on the face of the earth and suggest that there might be moral wrongdoing on the part of age-old human nature, tainted by original sin, forever with us until our Lord's second return? And dare we teach about age-old tenets on purgatory, heaven, and hell itself? Remember, these people don't believe in hell. Nobody's there. And let's not forget, murderers themselves are still part of the communion of God, still under the big tent. So has said a very prime member of the hierarchy. Could we have five minutes with Our Lady of Fatima right now? They'd run for the hills. How uncharitable to refer to Our Lady to protect us against all error. This was truly a diabolical document written by shepherds, quote-unquote. We better pray for them with everything we've got because this is, this is truly the uh, foreshadowing of God's direct intervention, I have no doubt in my mind. Father Murray finishes up, a true defender of the faith, he boldly called out and refuted the wave of doctrinal error and confusion provoked by this Roman surrender to the spirit of the age. He understood that the strange idea that the deposit of faith is not a gift to be preserved and safeguarded, but rather a point of reference subject to remaking according to the supposed needs of the present age is a mortal threat to the peace and stability of the church. Pell concludes, so far the synodal way has neglected, indeed downgraded, the transcendent, covered up the centrality of Christ with appeals to the Holy Spirit and encouraged resentment, especially among participants. This working document needs radical changes. The bishops must realize that there is work to be done in God's name sooner than later. Father Murray then shares, Alas, the good Lord in his mysterious providence has abruptly taken this true shepherd from our midst when we feel most keenly the need for his presence among us. God has his plan. His ways are not our ways. 
Pell's fellow cardinals, who bear the great responsibility of advising Pope Francis and of one day electing his successor, now must take up the baton. They should do so with the same confidence and serenity that Pell displayed, knowing that God enables us to do great things necessary to protect the church from those who would improve her quote-unquote, by changing her teachings. In this race that is our life on earth, courage and strength come from above. St. Paul's words find fulfillment in the life of Cardinal George Pell. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 78. May Cardinal George Pell rest in peace. Just to highlight quickly those who may not be familiar with Cardinal Pell, he was appointed to clean up the Vatican Bank scandal, an investigator. And it wasn't too long after that appointment that all of a sudden he was being accused of the classic gaslighting sexual allegations, always an option for the enemy, that put him into exile for a period of time before he was exonerated from any guilt whatsoever. Somebody in the Vatican tried to get rid of him. Uh, he was a truth teller. And uh, in light of recent events in the church relative to uh, Father Frank Pavone, I think Cardinal Pell would have understood such an utter humiliation of so great a man and priest of God. So may that be consolation to Father Frank Pavone right now. May we pray to Cardinal Pell that truth and sanity i.e. divine justice, may be the only way for the holy Catholic priest. Let this be our segue now into our ongoing book review with You Shall Stand Firm, Preserving the Faith in an Age of Apostasy by Father William Casey in our chapter on The Priest, A Marked Man Indeed. We had left off with Father Casey pointing out a fork in the road for every priest. He said, the priest was looking at some signs. Which road to take, vocation or job, apostle or bureaucrat, fidelity or dissent, holiness or scandal, devotion or burnout? That's how it works in this life, because the calling will present every priest with a clear choice of which of those roads to take. The choice he makes will decide what he will be forever, in heaven or hell. I've heard it said that one way or the other, for better or worse, every priest will take many souls with him on the way he chooses to go. Salvation or damnation? One way or the other, he will be a priest forever. So, clearly, Father wants to make the point that we better know what a priest is. Who is he? What is he intended to be, he says. So he continues on, and he refers to Archbishop Jose Gomez of Los Angeles, who said, The sacrament of orders imprints upon the man a new Christ-like character. The man is configured to be Christ for the people he ministers to. This identity is shaped by the power given to him to consecrate the Eucharist, which contains within itself Christ, in whom there is not only the character, but the very plenitude of priesthood. The priest, by his ordination, shares the rank of the apostles, to whom Christ entrusted authority and power at the Last Supper. As such, the priest alone acts in persona Christi, in the person of Christ, is empowered to consecrate the Eucharist. It is important to stress that for St. Thomas Aquinas, the priest consecrates not by his own power, but as the minister of Christ in whose person he consecrates. There is a common misconception that the church's theology pertaining to the priesthood has changed in the last 50 years to conform to the times that we live in and the ways of the modern world, and that the Catholic priesthood has been redefined to attend this end. This is where many priests have gone wrong. 
There is another common misconception today that priests are to be social workers, facilitators of consensus, as I mentioned, community organizers, mere administrators, and professional nice guys. Certainly those are all good things to be, but those are not the reasons why we are ordained, and they are not the essence of priesthood. The church does not ordain the priest to be an ecclesial branch manager. We are ordained to be other Christ's. The Latin term is Alter Christus. We are ordained first to be the heralds of the gospel, the preachers of God's holy word without compromise. We are ordained to be the ministers of the sacraments, which are the very means of our salvation that our Lord bought and paid for in his own blood on Calvary. We are called to be instruments of God's mercy and healers in the wounded world, especially in the confessional. We are intercessors for the people of God through our life of prayer and our works of charity. We are called to work and to pray, primarily for the greater honor and glory of God, for the salvation of souls, and to build up the body of Christ, which is the church. The moment a priest loses sight of this, he is in trouble. The moment our people lose sight of this, the church herself is in deep trouble. May we stay out of trouble when we come back. This is WQPH Radio 89.3 FM. You see, the priest will always be a marked man. And not just because of that indelible character of the sacrament of holy orders, but because of whom he represents, whom he serves, whom he preaches, and whom he brings down on the altar at Mass with the words of consecration. Take this, all of you, and eat it, for this is my body, which has been given up for you. Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many. Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen used to say, Without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. Without the life, there is no living. The way is the way of holiness. The world mocks it. The truth makes moral demands of us. The world rejects it. The life is the gift of human life in the womb, the life of grace in the soul. The culture of death will try to destroy it. If the priest is a man of God called to be in the likeness of Christ, it should make sense to us that the world will seek to destroy him, and him especially. The lives of the saints, church history, and common sense all point to this fact. Nothing has changed. In Caesarea Philippi, our Lord said, and I say to thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Matthew 16, verse 18. If our Lord had to promise that the gates of hell would never destroy his church, you can safely presume that it was because our Lord knew full well that the gates of hell were certainly going to try. They are still trying, and they are going to keep trying until the end of the world. Let us pause here and reflect on what's happened to those of ordained orders, and also uh, the sisterhood. Uh, one cannot but continue to reflect in retrospect on how there was a mass exodus from religious orders, especially the sisters, you know, back post-Vatican II days, late 60s, 70s, over 55,000 left their orders in the United States. That's just unconscionable. And clearly, they did that because they felt something had gone astray. And the sisters, so many of these religious orders, were completely dedicated to teaching. They were teaching orders. And all of a sudden, just like they put the desk in those little boxes of six, they decided to just scrap this charism of their own, and, the mo and so important to the passing on of the age-old tradition of the Catholic faith. They went into social work. Okay, now think about that. That's kind of an acknowledgement that we're just going to deal with people in their sins. And leave them there. Okay, because let's not kid ourselves. It's not just psychological dysfunction. 
people have put themselves in very difficult positions because they're not leading good quality moral lives according to the commandments. So what's better, to just try to find them new housing or to try to teach them how to live? And this was a huge shifting of pastoral gears, let's say, in the changing emphasis in the church's catechesis, that unless they considered themselves as the primary teachers of the faith, then we're just going to mix and blend in with the social order, the secular sphere of clinical social work, psychology, and all the rest. And that's exactly what happened. And I was always convinced myself, you know, when I was uh, looking at becoming a theology major at the undergraduate level, I I always felt that the overwhelming majority of those that were involved in the liberal arts anyway, if you know, those that are in science and business and, you know, they clearly have a talent for that, fine, you know, go for it. But those that were more immersed in philosophy and theology, music and arts and, you know, kind of the other side of the brain, well, so many of those students gravitated towards psychology and sociology. Why? Because they didn't want the stigma. It was a new stigma now. There wasn't one back in the late 50s, but now we're in the culture of death, at least the beginning stages of it, and they didn't want to get pegged as a philosophy major or a theology major, because what are you going to do with that? What, are you going to be a priest? As if that's a bad thing? Okay, you know, all these people that were uh, interested in the study of human behavior, I promise you, overwhelming majority of them likely should have been philosophers and theologians, or at least on the track, and they just jumped ship and went over to this new science called psychology, which was more or less born in the late 1800s and pretty much subverted most of the age-old teachings of Catholic theology and Catholic philosophy. That, again, just shattered the priest's image of himself, you know, very much turning him into a social worker and psychologist. Now he's just listening to people, but he doesn't give them guidance. He doesn't give them actual direct therapeutic counsel, i.e. God's wisdom to live by. He doesn't honestly think that this is like part and parcel of his priesthood. I am the way, the truth, and the life, says Jesus about himself. The truth and the passing on of Jesus' truth and all his truths given to us by our church. This is what the priest is all about. Now, put that, juxtapose this against so many of the sermons in the last 25 years with no teeth of any kind. It's it's mortally sinful, at least for the priest, because he directly has that responsibility to tell the people which way to go and which way not to go. So you got to point out the devil now. Where is he? In our society. Don't Not 2,000 years ago. That's all good, but then you have to make the jump to our time. Because remember, God's word cuts across time. So if something was bad and evil back then, it's likely it's still bad and evil here, but we just got to figure out, you know, where is it? Who's, you know, could be in disguise. It could be in the church. It's not just in the political sphere. That's fairly obvious. I think we're starting to get that in the last three years. But no, uh, this has just been devastating to the priest's own sense of identity. Very quick example. I was just talking to a gentleman tonight about an addiction scenario regarding a dear loved one. And I was virtually begging a priest to help save the life of my brother. And the priest looked at me and said, you want me to go to your house and tell your mother what to do? And I 
said, that's exactly what I'm asking. Well, I lost my brother. And part of that loss has to do with that kind of attitude that he doesn't think it's even within his realm of God-given authority to tell an adult what to do. This is an outrage, ladies and gentlemen, that's been going on way too long. And we will not be part of it right here at WQPH Radio 89.3 FM. Under obligation always to teach his truth, not opinion. Have a great week, everyone. Let your light shine. That is what it's all about here at WQPH Radio 89.3 FM. But we need to hear your story. You want your voice to be his voice. That is making the faith known to others. Please, my number is 877-625-3727. Tim Kilcoin, TalkCatholic.com. Say Mother Teresa told us, your ministry is your work right where you are. Grab on to this microphone. God bless.